Science and Technology. Welcome to Steampunks. I'm your co-host, Emily Schock. And I'm Zachary Schock, your co-host, husband, and number one fan of Emily. Oh, you're too kind. Ugh. <laughs> hey, Zachary. What? You got some news for us? Maybe. Like what? Well, we may have joined a network earlier um, this month. Earlier. <laughs> you know, the other day. It's you fine. know, yesteryear. <laughs> <laughs> Which network did we join? The Pocket Podcast Network. You want to say that again? <laughs> the Pocket Podcast Network. There it is. <laughs> so what what is it what does it mean that we're part of a network now? It means that we're affiliated with a bunch of cool shows that are committed to bringing quality podcasts right to your pocket. It also means that we're going to start doing ads and stuff for, like, other shows, maybe some sponsorships. You can get a pocket note and make me and Zach say whatever you want. That's pretty dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Please keep it family friendly. Check it out at pocketpodcastnetwork.com slash pocket notes. And so, yeah, that's just a really cool thing. We're super excited about it. Oh, yeah. Super stoked. I think it's going to be awesome. Okay, so on with our show, I guess. We've done science and math with Ada Lovelace. Mm -hmm. We've done science in the form of botany with Elzada and Lois. And so Zach requested of me to look up an inventor next, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, got to get the engineering in there. So I chose Hedy Lamar, famous actress. Cool. Not quite. Except <sighs> she was an inventor. <laughs> Saw that coming. <laughs> but we'll get there. Let's start at the beginning. So, uh, Hedy Lamar was born Hedwig Eva Maria Kiesler on November 9th, 1914 in Vienna, Austria. Yeah, very Germanic name. Super Germanic name. Uh, to, her parents were Gertrude and Emil. Her mother was a pianist, and her father was a successful banker. Very nice. So uh, very well cared for, were they, financially. Mm -hmm. uh, they lived in what was called the Cottage District, which was in the heart of the artistic quarter of Vienna. Oh, very so nice. surrounded by music, performing arts, everything. Paintings just everywhere. Everywhere, all the lining time. Lining the walls, lining the... <laughs> Billboards, all of them. All the art billboards of Vienna. Very famous. Lots of bands in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> she was once quoted as talking about how her mother promised her that if she was very good, she could get a nice present, which ended up being her first trip to the theater and, like, the movie theater. Okay. And so that's when she fell in love with... The silver screen. Ooh. It became her dream. Um, she dropped out of school to become a secretary for a film writer okay. when she was 16, so 1930, uh, because she realized that she was really pretty <laughs> <laughs> and sort of wanted to take advantage of it. Yeah. Um, so she got, got herself a job as a secretary and overheard them talking about how they 
needed a secretary role in a new film. So she just marched her little 16-year-old butt up there and was like, hi, I can do it. <laughs> you can literally see me doing it like, right now. Literally, look at how good I am at secretarying. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now let me do it on camera. <laughs> <laughs> and they gave it to her. <laughs> she just had a couple bit parts at first, but critics even noticed her because she was just that beautiful, even in the background. Wow. Um, eyes as pretty as a picture, the most beautiful girl in the world. They were smitten. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she successfully made her mark in Vienna. But she knew that in order to make it big, she had to go to the heart of filmmaking in Europe, Berlin, as a young Jewish girl. That's a bad place during that time. In the 1930s. What was going on in the 1930s in Germany, Zach? Uh, Coup, basically. (laughs) Hitler took power in the uh, Senate and... Pretty much the rest is history yeah. uh, going on to World War Two, and yeah. And, you know, he, he was able to get power beca- mainly because of the Great Depression. Yes. It, it sucked. <laughs> yeah. Badly. But even throughout the Depression, German filmmakers were always able to fill theaters. That was one thing that stayed steady mm-hmm. when everything else was falling. Um, Germans did love their art. Yeah. So she, she was able to, to do pretty well in both theater and film. For a while there, I guess she just was able to sort of hide that she was Jewish mm-hmm. and still made it pretty big. And her her big break, that was in 1932, a Czech film, like from the Czech Republic, <laughs> yes. called Ecstasy. Okay. Y'all, <laughs> it was raunchy. <laughs> It was a European art film, so, you know, nudity is bound to happen eventually in European art films. It's required at least three times. Well, it is after Eva does it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the story of this film is that she marries an old, impotent man and finds a younger lover. And there are a lot of story editions and edits, depending on where it got released. But the big part is that it includes nudity... And it included sex. Like, <laughs> trigger warning if it if it oogs you out, skip ahead like 30 seconds. Uh, but one of the scenes, she was literally simulating an orgasm. Fun. Which they did by, he didn't like, the director didn't like how she did it first. So he started poking her with a safety pin. <laughs> no. To get her to react. So, yeah. Hollywood. Well, Berlin. <laughs> But as you can imagine, when this came out in 1933, it caused a bit of a stir. On the one hand, you had people that praised it as this high erotic art that like, you know, yes, she was nude, but it was because it made a statement. It told a story. And then you had people that were like, no, y'all, this is straight up porn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was banned in Germany and America and also by the Pope. Yeah, it's kind of the Pope's job. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, she she still made headlines. She was still the it girl for it. Whether or not people ever actually saw the film, especially, like, in America. Yeah, they they just skipped ahead. (laughs) They they knew about it. So, after this film, she was noticed by a man named Fritz Mandel, a successful businessman, 13 years older than her. 
a Catholic of Jewish descent, and he fell in love with her on the screen and started pursuing her. They got married because, oh, she was such a romantic. All she wanted was stability and love. Yeah. She had a hard time finding it, as we'll find out. But, um... (laughs) So they get married in 1933, uh, and she retires early from stage and screen. Okay. Um, They get married August 10th, and soon to find out, Mandel didn't really care for Hetty as a person. Mm. He needed a pretty trophy wife to bring to the dinner parties he threw for the fascist leaders he sold weapons to. Oh. <laughs> they yeah. had Benito Mussolini in their house for dinner on multiple occasions. No. <sighs> so, you know, on top of that, she was never allowed to leave the house. She wasn't allowed to go back to work or anything. Mm. Prisoner in her own home. So, uh, by 1936, especially after the Nuremberg Laws the year before, mm. 1936, she just couldn't handle being married to a guy that was, like, actually causing a lot of destruction to her, to yeah. her fellow Jews. Actively. At, like, actively. Participating. So, she disguised herself as a maid and fled in the middle of the night with a huge bag of jewels that he had bought her. Nice. And she got away. She ended up in London in 1937. And... As was the case during this time, a lot of actors, especially of Jewish descent, were fleeing to Europe, uh, the different parts of Europe and America, to get away and still act. And that's how she met uh, Louis B. Mayer, who was literally, like, there to sign up actors to bring to Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky break. (laughs) She was a little, like, she was a little cocky here. She didn't want the standard contact and standard payment. Like, she was like, I did that nude scene, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, That's me. (laughs) And he didn't want to give it to her, so she was like, I'll make him give it to me. So she found out what boat he was going on (laughs) to get back to New York, got on that boat, made herself noticed, and uh, by the time they got to New York, she, she she got a better contract. As long as she changed her style to match the style of, of America more closely, okay. and her name. Mm. Hedvig Kiesler is a bit... Smuffle. <laughs> well, it's a bit Germanic and a bit Jewish. And this was Hollywood. Yeah. So she ended up in New York in 1937, stepping off the boat as Hedy Lamar. Her first Hollywood film was the next year, July 13th, 1938. The film Algiers released. Classic romance... She's in the lead role, just looking amazing and acting her butt off with her amazing accent, and everyone loves her. She becomes a total star. She's on posters. She's in magazines. She's like the it girl. She is loving it. So Except, she's what? so she's prima donna. Uh huh. <laughs> she was loving it, but at the same time, she knew all of the terrible things that were happening. Back in her hometown, because 1938, Anschluss, they were annexed into the Nazi country. Yeah, kind of uh-huh. forced. Yeah, and, and a, a Kristallnacht, you know, night of broken glass. Mm-hmm. Um, over 30,000 Austrian Jews ended up in the first concentration camps, and so this is where 
the turning point happened. Yeah. As far as his anti-Semitism. So she, she wasn't able to enjoy her, her fame and fortune because she knew what was going on. And again, looked for love and stability in her second marriage oh. to uh, Jean Markey, a socialite, playboy, and screenwriter. They started dating February of 39 and got married March of 39, adopted a son, James, and by October of 1940, they were divorced. But she would be able to find at least a little purpose in uh, once America joined the war after Pearl Harbor in 1941, um, because war bonds started being a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Can you explain war bonds a little? Do you know anything about them? You would basically give money to the government uh, so that they would be able to fund the, for the war, and uh, you would get a bond in exchange, and uh, when you go a couple of years later, sometimes people still, I'm sure, have these bonds, um, but they would go and turn it in for a very large profit. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was basically a way for Roosevelt to just immediately give the government cash yeah. to do what they needed and helped people feel like they were helping if they weren't, you know, physically going off to war. Yeah. So Hetty and uh, all of Hollywood, that was their thing, commercials and radio ads and late night TV specials of them dancing uh, to, to get people to buy war bonds. Mm-hmm. And Hetty herself raised $25 million dollars total is that in nowadays i think in benaday's time wow yeah so she helped yeah she sure helped that way um they also uh what hollywood did for soldiers was they opened the hollywood canteen it was a run food cooked waitressing bartending all done by hollywood actors Okay. And the only admission was your serviceman uniform. Everything was free, and Hetty would kiss you, which she hated, <laughs> but eventually got used to. Yeah. Um, which is gross. I'm sorry. Forties, yeah. anyway. But you know, she she was doing all this, and she knew it was important, but she couldn't help but thinking that she could help a little more practically. Okay. In the form of her inventions. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, she had several. Howard Hughes, uh, he was a Hollywood writer, but he was also into aviation and was like a Playboy millionaire. Mm. She and him made acquaintances in, in Hollywood, and he gave her a little mini inventing set that she could use in her trailer in between takes and stuff, because she had an inventing table at home. <laughs> All right. You can't bring that with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing she did for him was he was trying to come up with a really fast plane. And she looks at his designs, and she's like, these are too square. Like, they're never gonna... These are too slow. They're too slow. What are you doing? So she went out, and she bought a book about fish, and she bought a book about birds. And she found the fastest bird and the fastest fish used the wings and the tail fins, drew up a new design and gave it to Howard Hughes. And he was just like, he literally said, he is quoted of saying, you're a genius. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) She made it aerodynamic by looking at nature. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that was just helping him with his, a couple other ones that she did. uh, She made a little dissolving tablet of cola 
Because, like, no one on the front lines could have Coke. So, like, the Mentos and Coke. <laughs> yeah, that's where that started. <laughs> it ended very badly for the soldiers. <laughs> it was her invention for... It was her weapon invention. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was just, like, a little tablet, and it, it made water into cola. She admitted it wasn't very good, but, you know, that's what R&D is for. You gotta, gotta break a few glass to make a bottle. Fuck. Yep. <laughs> um, she also, her big invention that, it's just so big. Okay, here. U-boats were a huge problem. They were stopping merchant ships with, you know, supplies from getting to the Allied powers. Yeah, creating a blockade. Yeah, the, it was, and it was all because of these U-boats and their torpedoes that nobody could get past. Yeah. So they decided that they needed faster torpedoes that, you know, they could shoot and get to the U-boats and blow them up before the U-boats could blow them up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the problem is the way they, they couldn't guide them. They could, but the only way that they had for guidance was a single radio frequency that was super easy to detect and jam. And then mm -hmm. it was over. So while Hetty was married to Fritz, that first guy, she would hear them talking about this problem. And she was like, but what if? And she started coming up with something to help make guiding them easier. But she needed help from avant-garde composer George Antile. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we add arts into steam. Yes. You know, it was it was 1940s. It was avant-garde. It was 12-tone. It was random, irresponsible. Just brr, 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 go brr, have brr. fun, guys. Just Do what you want. Break all the rules. Make new rules and break those. The only rule is there are no rules. <laughs> and one of his pieces, it was a ballet, but instead of for dancers, it was for 16 automated pianos. Okay. And that's what Hetty was thinking about when uh, coming up with, with what she wanted to do. So she met with him. She, they met at a party, and she like gave him her number and <laughs> called back all excited. Because <laughs> like, do I wait three days? Do, <laughs> do I most, wait for him to call me? <laughs> the most beautiful woman in the world just handed him her card. <laughs> so he's like, uh. <laughs> anyway, so she called and was like, "Hey, want to talk about inventions?" <laughs> <laughs> just laying in bed, kicking his feet. Hey. <laughs> hey, girl. Anyway, so call get together. And they're going to... So the problem with the, the guiding system was at one radio frequency that could be detected and jammed. But what if the signal was spread about... By 12 pianos. No. <laughs> well, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> what if the signal was spread across seemingly random frequencies one after the other intercepting them would be impossible even if you grabbed one then it would immediately would just go to the next one anyway hop 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 um so he was thinking yeah i can coordinate the frequencies the same way i coordinated the pianos so you're gonna love this hetty and antile's design was two piano paper rolls <laughs> placed in both the transmitter and the receiver started at the exact same second so that they were in sync mm -hmm. and um with the secret instructions for switching the frequencies mm -hmm. 
and it they would just send the frequencies back and forth to each other based on this piano roll, <laughs> which unless you magically found, mm-hmm. you would have have no way to intercept it. Did they ever use actual songs? Well, you see, they sent in their patent. Oh, one thing. I don't know if they used actual songs, but they could have, because the final design used 88 frequencies. <laughs> Good. What's 88? Uh, the number of keys on a piano. <laughs> Nerds. Anyway, they sent in their patent, and the patent office actually, like, didn't release it. They were like, this is, this is actually, you know, this could be something. And we don't want our enemies to get it. So, like, here's the patent, but we're not going to publish it anywhere. Mm. And so, Antile went and presented it to Congress. Uh, and people got it. They were like, oh, yeah, that's a cool thing we could do. Thanks for showing us your science project, <laughs> composer and actress. Oh. And that just didn't go anywhere. It just was denied. They were like, you know, this pretty girl can't come up with anything. Sell to the English, they'll probably get it. <laughs> so nothing ever really came of the patent, and it kind of broke Hetty's heart. Aww. You know, she she was very obviously only only wanted for her looks yeah. and not for her brain, and it 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 hit her, mm-hmm. especially since she was getting older and her looks were starting to fade, at least when it came to Hollywood standards. Yeah. In 1942, though, she did get another role, which was one of her biggest hits, um, White Cargo, described here as an exotic, erotic fantasy. (laughs) So that brought her back into the limelight. That that must have helped a little bit. (laughs) Christmas Day that same year, she met John Loder and married him in May of 1943. (laughs) Uh, They got a house in Texas, far removed from the glitz and glamour of Hollywood, just living their life, having a couple kids, Denise and Anthony. And then the war ended. Yay. But things weren't... And all this happened in the span of the war. Of the war, yeah. Um, Things weren't working out with Hetty and John, however. There's two stories. Hetty's is when she went in Christmas of 45 to say she was pregnant with her son, she wanted a divorce too, and he called her a cold bitch and then returned to reading. Oh, no. I know. (laughs) And then there's Loder's story that Hetty made her agent call him and say, hey, you're a mediocre actor and a terrific bore at home, and she wants a divorce. Okay. So, whichever story happened, uh, July... Yeah, no, not happy. July 17th, 1947, divorce was finalized, and she gained custody of all three children. Um, So, her biggest hit ever was Samson and Delilah in 1947. But it was also sort of the beginning of her downfall. And it wasn't completely, I don't want to say her fault, like she got older, but like Hollywood was also moving away from that exotic beauty kind of look. Yeah. And people like Marilyn Monroe were becoming, you know, the the tiny blonde girl with with the curls and Mm. the boops and the bops and... So, uh, she had a hard time getting work even after like, she won two Oscars and was in this huge, just blockbuster movie that everyone loved her in. Mm. Husband number four, Ted Stopher, in 1951, divorced in 52. J. Howard Lee, oil baron, 
husband number five in 1953 really brought her back into money again because she was struggling with no acting gigs and yeah. three kids. Uh, her adopted son, they did not have a good relationship at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, sent all of her kids to boarding school. It was... She had a hard time reconciling being both a Hollywood actress and a mother. Yeah. And it, it is good that they eventually reconciled when they were much, much older, but not a fun time when it was happening. Yeah. Uh, 58, divorced Jaya Howard Lee. And then uh, in 1963... I do want to say, this is just like... A very bad time in Hetty's life. Yeah, it definitely sounds. Samson like and Delilah it. happen, and it just all went down. Uh, Nineteen sixty-three married her divorce lawyer. <laughs> oh no, honey, honey, no. Anyone at this point? Honey, please no. Divorced in nineteen sixty-four. Nineteen sixty-six was in the news again for shoplifting. Uh, was found not guilty after six days in court. So. There's that. She also had a bunch of plastic surgery to try and reclaim her looks, and Mm -hmm. it went badly. And so there was a lot of pain and a lot more ridicule Mm -hmm. from from tabloids and such. By the the 70s and 80s, she was living in just totally reclusively, calling herself a beauty whose beauty had been lost. (laughs) It was really, it was really sad. She was someone who was only appreciated for her beauty, and once it faded with time, no one was appreciating her anymore until 1990s. Cell phones. Developers needed a way for phones to communicate without jamming. Mm. So they started using Code Division Multiple Access, or CDMA, which turned out to just be a modern development of that original patent. Interesting. Yeah. So with what they called a spread spectrum frequency hopping back in the way back, mm-hmm. has been adapted for Wi-Fi networks, Bluetooth, mm-hmm. cell phone communications. <laughs> um, so literally, podcasts would not be a thing without yeah. Hedy Lamar, the brilliant inventor. <laughs> uh, and things got a lot better for her after that. The awards started coming in. Oh. It, uh, November 9th in Austria, her birthday, is National Inventors Day. In Austria, and um, she became rich and famous again in her 80s and was finally able to be recognized for her brain. Mm-hmm. And because literally, literally, the way the world is now would not be possible wow. without what she invented during World War II and was turned down. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she reconciled with her children left a multi-million dollar estate, technological legacy, and January 19th, 2000, passed away with a pretty full and amazing life, if you ask me. Yeah. Like, holy crap. Wow. (laughs) So, uh, that's Hedy Lamarr for you, the most beautiful woman in the world who invented something that you and I use all day, every day. So thanks for listening, and again, we are now a part of the Pocket Podcast Network, which is a network of podcasts committed to bringing quality podcasts right to your pocket. Woo! (laughs) If you like our show, try one of the other shows, like uh, Them's the Facts, No Dice, The Ghoul Tank is a personal favorite of mine. And uh, check out all the rest of them at pocketpodcastnetwork.com. 
Also, if you like our show, give us a follow on Twitter at SteampunksPod, and please, please leave a review on iTunes. Word of mouth and iTunes reviews are the best way for people to notice us and give us a listen. Beep, beep, beep. Also forgot to say thanks to The Crypts for the use of their song Marie Curie for our intro and outro. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> so again, thanks for listening to Steampunks this week. I'm Emily Schock. And I'm Zachary Schock. And keep flying, you beautiful, majestic, steam-powered horses. This is Jesse. And this is Griffin. And we're Avocado Toast. We're a news and social commentary podcast by young people for young people. Have you ever wanted to know more about climate change? The social conflict in Venezuela? Or maybe why Trump sucks so bad? Then we might be the podcast for you. New episodes every week. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play. Just go and search Avocado Toast. Check us out. Eat the rich. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.